the reconnection part is the most important part because what we've done in 30 years, I only know of one other entity in this world that has done it, done repatriation at the level that we have. And that's Te Papa uh, Tonga Leva from, from um, New Zealand, Aotearoa. But we attribute that to the fact that um, our prayers ask our ancestors to guide us. So in effect, we're trying to empower them to be part of their own rescue by making sure that we, we receive the right thoughts, that, that, we are, that we're not overwhelmed by anger. A lot of people started off working on this and a lot of people left. And a lot of people left because of the kaumaha, the, the trauma. The trauma of learning every time you, you research something, you read something, you find out that our ancestors were objectified, dehumanized, mistreated because it, it reflects very poorly on, on, on us when we, when we see something like that. So there's, there's great pain in that, those kinds of revelations. Spaces that are completely segregated and racialized. What it is like to be you know, queer and Arab and how difficult that might be, or how do you negotiate that? The destruction of the social cultural worlds of black people, of African people, those who were here before. Which kinds of bodies get disciplined and regulated through discourse, but also in actual practice? Hi, I'm Magrida Waku. I'm Caroline Honorian. And I'm Leopold Lambert. This is the Phenomenalist podcast, operating in parallel with the Phenomenalist magazine that engages with the politics of space and bodies. Our hope is to provide a useful platform where activists, academics, and practitioners build solidarities across geographical scales. Each episode, we invite someone we admire and learn from their experiences, research, and struggle. Hello, everyone. Today is another episode of the Phenomenalist podcast, and my guest is Edward Alehola Ayo. Uh, who is uh, Aoi, who is uh, Hawaiian, um, uh, 56 years old, father of four daughters and a son, raised, on, raised in Ho'olelwa, Molokai, and graduated Kamehameha Schools uh, in 1992, the University of Redlands in 1987, and earned a law degree from University of Colorado in 1989. He is leading efforts to repatriate Iwi Kupuna, uh, who, who are ancestral Hawaiian skeletal remains, Moepu, who, uh, which are funerary possessions, and uh, Meakapu, uh, which are sacred objects. And he's been doing that for the last 30 years as the executive director of Hui Malama Ina Kupuna Hawaii Ne, which is a group caring for the ancestor of Hawaii. Um, which is, uh, which is uh, specifically what we will be talking about today in a conversation that will be featured in our uh, 30th issue dedicated to the topic of reparations. Um, so, hello, halihaloa. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, so I have prepared a, a few questions that I, that I was very eager to ask you. Uh, so let's, uh, let's begin. So as I started to mention, uh, for the last 30 years, you successfully put pressure on 120 museums and institutions of the world, in particular in the United States and Europe, for you to be able to repatriate indigenous Hawaiian Iwi Kupuna and Moepu cultural belongings to the, king, to the kingdom. Uh, I know that sometimes a uh, museum complies relatively easily with your demands, while others take years, if not decades, uh, to, to comply. Uh, could you describe this process in which you became, uh, quite frankly, an expert, so much so that uh, so you've been promising, I think, uh, some museums that they were next on your list and, and, and they effectively, effectively became next on your list? Aloha no kako, mahalo for that. That introduction, um, gosh, you know, it's it's been thirty years, uh, thirty years in the making, and and for us, it started um, with the disturbance on the island of Maui at a place called Honokahua, and at this particular uh, property, a private landowner wanted to build uh, the Ritz Carlton Hotel, 
but uh, the sand dunes that he wanted to build uh, a portion of the hotel on um, had uh, Ivi Kupun had ancestral uh, Hawaiian remains buried there. So they did an initial test and they estimated maybe 40 individuals would be disturbed if they went ahead with this project. Uh, they, were, they were very wrong in terms of the number. Um, and back then they weren't, uh, there weren't very strong laws that protected cultural sites um, such as this. And so when they began, when the archaeologists began the excavations, they, they end up unearthing 1,100 individuals. And it wasn't the entire sand dune either, it was just a portion of it. And in this portion, there was 1,100 people buried. So this was a communal burial site. It was the final resting places, uh, place for 1,100 people. And, and they were dug up to make way for a parking lot. That was, that was, a, that was the plan, construction plan that, that, that a parking lot would be built here. And so that, you know, it was, uh, it, this was in 1987, 88. And it was just, I mean, the news was just horrific. People were shocked. Uh, you know, the, 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 the negative impact of something like that is, is being made to feel less than human. That, that someone else would value a parking lot over that of a burial site containing 1,100 people. Um, I mean, just think about that. Any cemetery that you're aware of, one day is a cemetery, next day you can park a car there. Um, and so what that event made Hawaiian people realize is that we were completely asleep at the wheel, if you will, in terms of protection of our ancestral burial sites. Like we had lost this part of our, of our, of our uh, ancestral memory um, that involves the, our, our um, relationship with our, with our ancestors. We had completely lost that. We had become, you know, you know just immune to uh, where our ancestors were and, and, and the need to protect them. And so there was a, a protest that was held at Honokohoa and people came from all, from all the different islands to occupy the site and to demand that the governor of the state of Hawaii, who was, a, who was Hawaiian, that he call a halt to the digging. Um, like I said, by the time they were done, they had dug up 1,100 people. In the end, uh, the state condemned the property and had the landowner move the hotel further inland so that the, the, the 1,100 that were dug up were reburied and the rest of the dune that was not dug up was protected. And so they went ahead and built the hotel but uh, only after they first dug up these 1,100 people. And, and for, 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 uh, for me and for a lot of Hawaiians, this was a oho'ala, an awakening. Because it said to us that we were failing in our responsibility to, to malama, to care for the bones of our ancestors. And as a result of what happened at Honokohua, as a result of the tragedy of Honokohua, um, some very significant uh, um, uh, things uh, took place. One is the eventual uh, enactment of a law to protect unmarked Hawaiian burial sites in Hawaii by the creation of island burial councils. And number two was the birth of Hui Malama Ina Kupuna Hawaiine by Edward, Edward and Puolani Kanahele of Hilo. And uh, these are cultural uh, practitioners. They were kumu, they were teachers. Uh, Mrs. Kanaheli is a, is a kanakaole, and her family's uh, this fierce, stubborn protection of Hawaiian ike, of Hawaiian spirituality, um, through hula, through chant, um, through the practice of ritual. Um, they saw Honokohua and realized that we as Hawaiians needed to know how to again interact with our ancestors uh, to be able to. Uh, to take care of them, to be able to uh, uh, rebury them in a way that they were uh, accustomed to, not so much in a way that we have become accustomed to. So part of what we learned were traditional chants. Some of them were contemporary. Some of them were 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 
were made just for the current work of repatriation and, uh, and rewrapping our ancestors' remains for reburial. So that was, uh, I mean, to me, that, that, that was the beginning of like a new life for me. Because up until that point, I mean, I, I was raised in a Hawaiian family on Molokai. Uh, we were raised with culture and history, but, but not the ritual side, not the um, ceremonial side. Um, like most Hawaiians of my time, you know, we grew up going to church. Um, when I began the training with Mr. and Mrs. Kanahele, I was uh, fresh out of law school. Um, I was eager to uh, get in the fight, if you will. But I realized that the lessons that they were teaching me were, 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 were life lessons. And, uh, it, 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 and it brought with it this, this just immense, immense, immense responsibility. And I was only 25 years old and I was real naive about, you know, I, I had no sense of the scope of the problem. I thought, you know, this had to do with, uh, you know, this situation at Honokohua, maybe some other cases, and, and that was the extent of it. I had no idea that our ancestors had been stolen from us and removed to parts all around the world. I had no idea. Nobody had any idea of that because it was not something that was readily announced or, or shared. Those who were trafficking in Ivikupuna and Hawaiian skeletal remains, moipu, uh, funerary possessions, or, or meakapu, uh, sacred objects, we're doing so on the down low. Um, and then, then you had this whole history of when items were actually sold intentionally. When you had the transition to, to Christianity, a lot of the, the, the spiritual items were, were either sold off or stolen. Um, so you had this huge market, you know, and it wasn't just in Hawaii. It was happening all over the world. And, and so what we, what we started to do, and there, there was, I don't know how many of us at the beginning, but the majority of us didn't, were, were not Hawaiian language speakers. So that made it hard because the protocols and all the trainings, everything was in Hawaiian. Um, and so there was an opportunity to, you know, re-embrace re our, our language, um, learn our respective roles based on gender. So in the Hawaiian ceremony, like other cultures, I suspect, um, uh, there are certain roles that each gender has. And so we, we learned that. We learned how to uh, uh, be a responsible Hawaiian man when it comes to taking care of, of ancestral remains, how to connect to them, how to, and the most important lesson is how to call upon um, my, our own individual ancestors to come, in, to come and help us. And it was based on this real simple thinking that, um, that but, but profound, that, um, you know, your grandmother who helped you when she was alive will also help you after she dies. That, the, uh, that, that part of the relationship doesn't change. Um, um, you know, who, who would come and help when you needed her, him or her most than, than your own family member? And, uh, and, and I found I, I, I derived a lot of comfort in that, in knowing that, you know, if I needed help, I would just have to call on my grandmother. I just had to call on my, my great grandfather. I would just have to call on someone I knew that knew me and, and I knew would, uh, would always be there for me. And so that's the basis of, of the spirituality of our work is that it's based on family. And family doesn't end when you die. Your role in the family doesn't end because you die. In Hawaiian, it, it, it actually elevates. Um, and, and special deceased ancestors are deified in a, in a, in, and, and become what, what we call Aumakua. And so our, our prayers teach us how to, uh, how to ask for the, the different tools that we need to do our work. You know, no one taught us how to repatriate because no one knew how. Yeah, we, we had to figure this out on our own. Um, but what, what our Kumus taught us, what Mr. and Mrs. Kanahele taught us, are the core values that you need to understand. Um, um, 
don't expose bones to light. So what does that teach us? It teaches us that we're not supposed to be digging people up. It teaches us that we're not supposed to um, allow physical anthropologists to examine them. Um, that once, once someone passes away, they are put away. And that their world is pole, is darkness, not light. And so being exposed, um, whether on display or being examined, is, is you know, just the opposite of, of the existence that they're supposed to be experiencing. And that's our responsibility. Our, our job is to maintain, maintain and protect um, their journey, if you will. And we do that by, by making sure that the EV are where they're supposed to be. And, and why, why is that so important? Because in Hawaiian, the word for burial and the word for planting is the same. In effect, you know, we were planting our ancestors. And what, you know, what, what does that mean if you know, you're, you're actually planting your ancestors? It's because the belief is that from their burial becomes growth. Physical growth, you know, if you will, because they are ultimately, um, their remains are breaking down and they become becoming elemental again and being part of the ground that, that, that plants actually grow from. But on the spiritual level, it's the infusion of their mana, of their life force into the land. And, 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 and emotionally, it's knowing that they are where they're supposed to be. Um, not on the museum shelf, but uh, hidden away in, in, in the in the protection of pole, in the protection of the darkness, um, and that's the that's the that's the the relationship that we have with them. And so, when that relationship is disturbed, when they are disturbed, we are disturbed. We are the sum of all of our kupuna. Every ancestor that made it, that. Made it, and made it, made it, made it, and created me. Um, I not only carry, you know, um, the names of, of my kupuna. I, I also, you know, I inherited their DNA. Of course, I also inherited their ancestral memories. So, when we go to places, <coughs> and you, you know, you, you have that sense of familiarity, but you know, you've never been here. I'm talking about when, when you're in, in Hawaii. And sometimes, shocks, when I went to Tahiti, Aotearoa, I mean, same thing. I still had those same deja vu feelings. Those are your ancestral memories. Those are your kupuna's memories. But you, still, you, but you have them now. Um, and so it's that familiarity. It's that, you know, it's about reconnection. How do you reconnect to them? And the reconnection part is the most important part because what we've done in 30 years, um, you know, I only know of one other entity in this world that has done it, done repatriation at the level that we have. And that's Te Papa uh, Tongareva from, um, from um, New Zealand, Aotearoa. Um, but we attribute that to the fact that um, um, our prayers ask our ancestors to guide us. So in effect, we're trying to empower them to be part of their own rescue by making sure that we we receive the right thoughts that that we are that we're not overwhelmed by anger um, a lot of people started off working on this and a lot of people left and a lot of people left because of the kaumaha the, the, the trauma the trauma of, of learning every time you, you 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 research something you read something you find out that our ancestors were objectified dehumanized, mistreated, because it, it reflects very poorly on, on, on us when we, when we see something like that. So there's, there's great pain in that, those kinds of revelations. When you find out that a ship captain sold a Hawaiian sailor who well, you know, worked on his ship, sailed on his ship, but got sick and died in, in a port. And rather than have him buried, um, he sold him as a cadaver to Johns Hopkins University uh, Medical School. Uh, I mean, these, there's just stories after stories after stories about how Hawaiians were just treated as non-human. And so you have to protect yourself from the intense, intense trauma 
of what those, uh, those, those stories reveal. Um, and so part, our training is, is helping us uh, to learn how to protect ourselves, protect our minds, to protect our spirit, to protect our bodies physically from what, 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 what's called haumia. And haumia is a Hawaiian word for uh, something that's defiled. And so the Hawaiian belief is that once someone dies, they're naturally defiled because they're in a state of death, which means that when you're with them, when you're working with them, before you can transition back to the living, you have to cleanse yourself. You have to go through a, a cleansing so that the, the defilements of the dead don't carry over into the living. Um, and so the, 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 you know, it was all about the training. And then the next major step, of course, is the actual implementation of that training. Um, we started in the, in the uh, 1990s. We were the first to repatriate from the Smithsonian, the first to repatriate from Bishop Museum. Um, and we just use each case to build on the next one. Um, when we started off, uh, you know, we were, I mean, uh, it was overwhelming. Partly because we, you know, we're just so new to it. Yeah. <clears throat> we were trying to, and, and what our kubu would tell us is, I'm trying to get you to return to who you are. Not were, who you are. Like, we have to return to who we are. And, and, and that comes through uh, lessons in mo'oku'ahau and knowing your genealogy. So that when you call on your ancestors, you're calling them specifically. You're calling on specific individuals. You're not just calling on whoever. Um, you're calling on those that will give you the ikaika, the strength you need, or the ike, the knowledge you need. Um, the ones that will, you know, give you the courage, frankly, to do some of the work that, that we've had to do. So, you know, first was the training, then was the 30 years of implementing, both under the U.S. law, under the uh, Native American Graves Protection and Repatri Repatriation Act, as well as the National Museum of the American Indian Act. Then we started venturing into the international arena. And, you know, our first cases were, went well, the museums were willing to give them back. But then we encountered the British. Uh, and the, the British, uh, you know, they're not the master colonizers of the world for nothing. And the vestiges of their colonial ways are still apparent. Um, even though, you know, some of them um, like to think that's not the case. Um, and so one of our, one of our most long-standing cases, the second longest case uh, involved the Natural History Museum in London. Um, when we first found out that our ancestors were there and we tried to get information from us, they told us to stop, stop communicating with them. Like they will never give them back. It will take an act of parliament, you know, it will never happen. These, these remains are, this, this material is a legitimate property of the Natural History Museum. And they, they would not entertain any discussions about whether they actually acquired them lawfully. Um, you see, there was a law in Hawaii that made it uh, a criminal act to disturb a, a burial. And so we, we try to engage these museums in this discussion. But we also point out to them that even if there wasn't a law, you don't need a law tell someone that what they did was wrong when they took uh, grandma's head. Um, and so the, so the central issue in this, 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 this undertaking, if you will, of repatriation, central, central bottom line issue is consent. Yeah. So we tell the museums, you prove that the family said, please take our grandma's head. We don't need it anymore. She doesn't need it. Go ahead, take it. So if you can prove that, then you can keep them. But if you can't prove that short of, of proof of consent, then the act of collecting is de facto theft. And uh, theft cannot form the basis of continued possession. And besides, um, last I checked, I'm pretty sure we're all human beings and, and that our our Hawaiian humanity has taken a really big hit from colonialism. I mean, you weren't satisfied with taking our kingdom, taking our land, taking our resources. 
You even took our, our grandmothers. Who does that? Who does that? Um, so, and let, let me just you know, make, make, make a clarification. So some view me as an expert because I've been at this for so long. But I don't, uh, but uh, with, with respect to my relationship to my kumu, yeah, I'm not an expert. I, I'm a haumana, I'm her student. Um, you don't become an expert when your kumu is still alive. Um, that, that comes later. But expert in, in terms of the laws and, and, and in terms of being strategic to get them home, absolutely. Um, we have, there's a time-honored tradition in Hawaiian called konane. And uh, that is, a, it's actually a game of strategy. But it's a it's strategy based on understanding human nature. And and some people say, well, that's manipulation. And I said, well, it's manipulation when you're doing it for the wrong reason. But when you're doing it for the right reason, it's uh, repatriation. <laughs> and how we got all these different institutions. I mean, just recently, Cambridge University, first repatriation ever from an 800-year-old institution of higher learning. Um, I, I mean, it, it, I mean, it was it was rough. We had we we got into full-on fights with them, but uh, um, I don't I don't mind that part because that's the part I excel in. <laughs> And I actually want to, uh, uh, because the more you engage, the better you see. I mean, I mean, it's getting to the point where there's a lot that, you know, I mean, we, we've seen so much that we know how to uh, address situations, you know, and let me, let me also say this. When we started off in the 90s, you know, because we were all young and um, angry uh, Hawaiians, you know, the thing we took pleasure in doing was fighting. Like if a museum wanted to take us on Berkeley, um, we took them on. Uh, they, they had a very famous, famous physical anthropologist na uh, there named Dr. White. And we had a hearing and he, during his testimony, he said, reburial is the same. It's analogous to going into the uh, Library of Congress, taking a book off the shelf and burning it because they both represent the destruction of knowledge. Burial, he said, represents the destruction of knowledge because someone like him can't take a skull and examine it. And as soon as he said that, I pounded both my fists onto the table and, uh, and interrupted him. And I said, uh, you know, there's one key difference here, right? I mean, you understand what that is. You know, he's this famous, world-famous physical anthropologist. And I said, the key difference is we do not descend from books. Like what a horrible analogy. You took an inanimate object and you compared a person to it. And uh, years later, I would, um, I was actually at the University College in London and um, um, I've been invited by a very dear friend of mine, um, Dr. Cressida Ford, well, she was a grad student then, to speak at a, uh, at a rep international repatriation um, symposium. And back then it was just talking about repatriation. Um, maybe only the Aborigines and maybe the Maoris were doing uh, repatriation back then. But really everybody else was, was just talking about it. It was just the early stages of early 90s. Well, the first three speakers all spoke against repatriation. Very eloquently, there were either museum directors or the head of an, of an anthropology department at a prestigious university. And I was the only uh, pro repatriation speaker. I realized. <laughs> so, you know, part of me wasn't too happy, pleased with uh, my friends for a while. Felt like they were setting me up and, and uh, Dr. Peter Yuko from the, from the university says, no, 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 I'm actually setting them up. Go tell them what you got, what you're going to say. And while they were talking, I scribbled two words on my notepad. The first word was intellectual and the second word was savage. Because to me, when I was listening to them talk, it was highly intellectual. You know, these are all these very intelligent reasons why we wouldn't give back people's ancestors because of their scientific value. And I 
And once he said that, I wrote the word savage. Because it's a very uh, uh, savage attitude to think that you can go to another culture and impose your will over a family practice. Like how more worse can, can that be? It's like in the middle of a funeral, somebody walks up, takes, walks away with grandma's head. I mean, that wouldn't happen in real life. Why would we allow it to happen in the cover of darkness or, or now sometimes during, a, during a, a, an archeological dig? So, you know, I gained what I know from, uh, from actual experience. So I would dare say I'm battle hardened. <laughs> and I think you have to maintain a wicked sense of humor if you're going to. Uh, which, which, you which you definitely have. I can, I can test it. <laughs> uh, earlier, earlier you mentioned your, your grandmother. Uh, and uh, although it wants uh, the connection uh, to my question won't, uh, won't be immediate, but Uh, I think I, I think many people will understand why uh, all this repatriation effort is uh, incredibly part of the of of the various efforts to decolonize uh, Hawaii. Uh, but when it comes to settler colonialism, we we tend to think of the efforts to ask things. I mean, the the colonial power, the military, the colonial infrastructure settlers who are unwilling to lose their colonial privilege, uh, telescopes even uh, uh, on uh, Mauna Kea. Uh, but uh, we rarely talk about how efforts um, that imply movements of bodies and objects back to the kingdom are fundamentally part of the, of the struggle. And uh, a few days ago, you told me that, um, that this, uh, this very long struggle of uh, repatriation was somehow initiated by uh, something your grandmother told you when you were just a, a very young lawyer. Uh, w would that be okay for you to, to, tell, to tell this story to a broader audience? Yes, yes. Um, actually, I wasn't a lawyer yet. Uh, I just graduated from law school and I was studying for the bar exam. Mm. And I was uh, spending the summer on Molokai um, and I went to visit my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, Uh, for dinner, and she had my 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 high school graduation picture on her dinner table, and I kind of laughed and I told her, "Oh, did you bring that out? You know, because we're having dinner tonight." And she said, "No, um, it's been on my table, and I I say hello to you every morning and and I, you know, every day I pray for you that you'll be safe because I left Hawaii to go to study um, in the in the continental U.S." I got my undergraduate degree and then my law degree. I went seven years straight and then I came home. So because I was gone, my grandmother said she was, she was praying for me because she was worried that I was you know, away from Hawaii. And so I told her, you know, Grams, I, you know, I graduated from law school and I studied federal Indian law. And, and what that taught me is about something called sovereignty. And I said, You know, Grams, do you understand what sovereignty is? And she says, yeah, uh, sovereignty uh, has to do with our kingdom, has to do with our ability to govern ourselves. I said, yeah, like, wow, I was kind of surprised. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Grams, that's, that's what it means. And then what she said next, uh, you know, en ends up changing my life. Uh, I mean, talk about wicked curveball. But she says to me, um, something along the lines like, a house cannot stand uh, tall or strong unless its foundation is firm. And at first when she said that, I, I just thought she was just rambling and, and then so she repeats it again. And I was like, um, I'm, I'm, you lost me. <laughs> uh, what, what, what are you talking about? And she says, I'm talking about what you're, uh, about sovereignty. So, If you want to restore the Hawaiian kingdom, if that's part of the work that you want to do, then before you can do, that's the house. Before you can do that, you have to restore the foundation. And I was like, okay, so that's the part where you lost me. What is the foundation of the Hawaiian kingdom? And she says, our ancestors, they were taken from us. 
but I, I didn't realize later that she was talking to me not about all of Hawaii. She was talking to me about a specific case on Molokai at, at a place called Mo'omomi. And uh, uh, an anthropologist from the Bishop Museum had come over and made the Hawaiians think that they were part of something great, but they were really actually helping him uh, dig up um, these bones from local sand dune and then carting them back to Bishop Museum. Um, and so she was talking about that. And then when she was thinking of Lahui or nation, she was talking about our island, not, not all the islands. But it, it made me realize that, you know, that the, the best work that I could do to promote Hawaiian sovereignty was to uh, commit to the restoration of our foundation. And, and, and the more, you know, like I talked about all the training that we went through, that training also involved research, like how to, how to research um, journals. Um, back then there wasn't much, you know, online computer stuff to, to look up. So <clears throat> you had to physically go to the library and, and look through these journals. And then of course the research became, you know, digital and, but what we started to realize was that uh, the kupuna had been uh, taken to all parts of the world from all places in, in Hawaii, in some places more so than others because of their geography. And so, you know, history tells us what colonial powers were in Hawaii in the early periods of contact. And so we targeted our searches for institutions in those countries because we knew France was there, uh, we knew Germany was there, we knew the Brits were there, we knew the Japanese were there, um, and so we, Australians were there. So we targeted those, those, those countries. <clears throat> um, and of course, you know, the Americans were there. And, uh, you know, we spent, I mean, just, I, I can't even imagine how much, how many hours it took and how many years in, that it took, but we methodically um, looked up museums state by state and then uh, um, country by country. In fact, every month, just, you know, just out of habit, I'll write maybe five to 10 museums anywhere in the world, just randomly. And every once in a while, one of them will come back and say, yes, we do have Hawaiian remains, and then we'll engage them in consultation and, and get them back. So, you know, my grandma's, I mean, that, that, that little, you know, um, statement from her, I mean, it, it changed my life. Instead of practicing law, um, I became a, a repatriation advocate. I worked for the uh, Department of Land and Natural Resources to manage the Barrow Sites Program. And then recently I worked for the Department of Hawaiian Homelands as a water specialist. But my, my passion in terms of what I would rather be doing 24-7 is uh, almost like a hunter, um, you know, just tracking them down, um, following up on leads, um, reading as much material as I can get my hands on, um, and, 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 and trying, to, trying to find them. And, and this work led us to actually Paris, where you're at, and to a museum there. Um, now we're starting to look at other museums, but we're not getting as much cooperation in terms of people wanting to respond. Um, some of these repatriations, their initial response was just to lie to us. Um, the initial response from a repatriation we just did recently um, told us in the 1990s that they didn't have any Hawaiian remains, when in fact they did. Um, so for us, it's uncharted waters there. Yeah, we didn't know what to expect. Um, some people were, were very, very kind, like extremely kind, like you had pointed out in your, in your comments. <coughs> but some of them were just absolutely pilaw, meaning they were, they were just horrible. Um, they wanted nothing but to make sure that um, they maintained possession of, of these remains at, at any cost. And after a while, um, it became more about power than it did about uh, science. Um, but we were still able to, uh, to convince them to, that they had to uh, repatriate. 
Well, later on, I, I wanted to talk about the, um, the spiritual and effective dimension of repatriation and as well as the training. But I think this is something you, you already talked about in your, in your first answer. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you wanted to add something, but I, just, just a, just a few things. One, uh, yeah. one is, you know, the, uh, the training sought to teach the lesson that, uh, we were learning to treat the dead as if they were alive. So, uh, someone who's had their head removed, uh, with that comes uh, shame. Someone who's been exposed like that, um, there's this great shame and, and anguish. And so in the prayers, we, we ask the kupuna to, um, to, to let their anger and their pain be appeased by our humility to uh, be willing to serve them, track them down to advocate for them, um, to prepare the traditional materials that we once used to, um, to rebury them, to bury them, um, but to expand all this effort to bring them home and to replant them so that we, we restore their place in, in the family. And so we would tell museums that, you know, um, uh, this is really about our respective humanity. You know, if we had your ancestors' remains for whatever reason, we would give them back because they don't belong here. And they should have never been disturbed. And we'd also apologize that this ever happened. Um, but we would never insist that so, uh, an act that's so intimate, so spiritual, to, so instinctual to a family would be invaded, um, desecrated by someone. Um, and you know, they, would, they would always say to us, you know, in the name of science, and we'd say, um, you know, science, science is, a, is a privilege. It's not a right. You don't, you don't get to come to Hawaii and just declare, oh, I'm a scientist, and then have, have go at our cemeteries. Um, no, we're human beings. We feel the same way as you. If we had done that to your cemeteries, we'd be arrested. If you do it to ours, uh, who knows, you get a grant or maybe a, a prize for it or, or something. So there was this, this inequity and, and you know, we had to learn how to, uh, to manage all those different kinds of energies so that it doesn't overwhelm you. It doesn't uh, consume you in hate, actually, frankly. Um, you know, the, the main thing was returning our kupuna, um, not just to, to the land for reburial, but spiritually to their families so that those families can heal because the belief is that because our ancestors um, got disturbed, like it's weakened us. And one way to strengthen us and one way to, to, to build that courage and that, that commitment and that, that steadiness um, is to return them home. So when we do, uh, we make it a point to let our lahui know, to let them know that you know, <clears throat> this may have happened two centuries ago, but today it's being undone. And, and soon they will re be reburied and we as Hawaiian people will be better off for it. Thank you. Um, as, a, as a concluding question, I, I wanted to, to talk about, um, of course, the concept of reparation, which is at the, at the center of this issue we're putting together but also in terms of time. And, um, and so, um, I mean, in, in Europe, with the report that was put together, in particular in France, uh, by uh, Ferwin Sarr and Benedict Savoy, and to a certain degree in the US, when we, when, uh, we had the release of the film uh, Black Panther, it, it really spoke, uh, the, the whole uh, famous museum scene spoke to many people. Um, and so there's a lot of discussions about the restitution of artwork and objects that were looted by European colonists in, um, in Africa, Polynesia, Micronesia, Melanesia. Um, however, many of those conver conversations understand a framework where colonial states and museums uh, are the ones who are uh, quote-unquote generously 
at the initiative of such forms of reparation, which are not exactly reparation. Um, and so why the reason why it was so important for me to talk with you is that uh, your efforts, your struggle is completely on the opposite of this because for every Iwikupuna who comes back to Hawaii, uh, uh, thanks to you and your relatives in struggles, um, it's it's like a wound that can start to secretize, to, to scar. Um, and so when this happened and when I think of... Uh, of when of what my islander friends uh, in particular from Kanaki and uh, Aotearoa tell me about island time uh, for me it was very much a, a continental uh, a continental person uh, i wonder whether it can be some somehow useful to think of colonialism as somehow a, a merely brief parenthesis in the very long history of the land and its people a sort of inexorable defeat of colonialism a bit the same way that when you had to wait for 25 years to bring back some Iwikupuna home, you just you were just like, yeah, we're gonna wait. We're gonna it's it's gonna happen. Like you don't know you you're talking to curators. It's like you don't happen yet. You don't you don't know it yet, but it will happen. You're you'll see. Okay. And so I was wondering whether it's do you think it's a it can be a useful what I call a useful or tactical optimism to perceive colonialism this way in such a in, in like and that's something i i saw a lot in kanaki where it's it's just a matter of time and we're patient and we'll wait but you will be defeated one day or another is that is that useful to you i i i couldn't agree anymore um so the training involves starting off by envisioning the result that's the, that's how you start off so when we're going to do a repatriation from a museum we start planning the reburials where the ev is from where they're going to be taking to uh taken to and reburied who's going to help do that because what that does is once you envision the result what comes with that is the courage in knowing that you've seen what's going to happen and now the easy part is making it happen. And so, um, you know, in, in all the cases I've been involved with, um, I, I tell them, the question here isn't whether they're coming home, it's when. You know, and, and um, you know, the, the registrar at Cambridge, she left. <laughs> and then uh, 11 months later, I went to her office and she announced that the uh, University Council had voted unanimous, unanimously to repatriate our ancestors. And I reminded her of what I said to her. Um, because with these efforts and with the training and with, with the prayers comes confidence. And, and, and to me, I, I not only want to see colonialism in the way that you described, I, I actually pray for it to be just a blip in Hawaiian history. Um, because we have, uh, we have a kuleana, we have a responsibility to return to who we are. And, and one effective way of doing that is making sure that uh, we, are, we are spiritually healthy. And our spiritual uh, health requires a healthy relationship with our, with our ancestors. And knowing, emotionally knowing that they're home, that um, um, yes, they were taken away, but we were able to undo um, those just horrific acts against Hawaiian humanity. And so earlier on, I had said to you that, you know, early on, uh, when we first started this and the cases we did, we, 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 we just, well, we, I just love to get into these fights with, with whoever was on the other side. Part of it was, you know, you know, I wanted to practice my craft and be an advocate. But the other is, I just like to, to argue with you, especially if you're doing something that I just find to be, uh, you know, abhorrent. Um, but that, that approach has given way to one in which um, it is far more uh, effective to, to make your opponent um, part of the solution, to, to make it a win-win solution. I mean, we could have hammered Cambridge because of some of the things that their predecessors had done. 
Um, but what, what would we gain from that? I mean, that might me feel, make me feel good for the moment, but where does that really get us? And more importantly, how does that um, help Cambridge develop into a responsible humanitarian-based institution vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the, the future claims by the Maori, by the Aborigines, by the Ainu, by everybody else, the Tahitians, everybody else whose ancestors are there. You know, so now we're mindful that when we, we go after someone, especially someone who's high profile, um, we have a duty, not just to our kupuna, but to the other kupuna that are there, that we don't mess up, you know, it, because we're the first one in, that we don't mess it up so that they don't want to deal with whoever's coming in next. And so, um, you know, being mindful of colonialism in this work uh, gives you a strategic advantage because you know what to expect, you know how, how you know where where they're coming from, but most importantly, that gives you all the information you need to defeat them. Um, but defeat them in a way that gains their respect, like. When I was working in the early 90s in the State Historic Preservation Office, I mean, we used to have wars with the archaeologists. I would say 80% of those people are now some of my best friends. Because we were able to go at it, go at it, go at it, but in the end, recognize that we both loved Hawaii. We maybe saw culture differently, but we were able, because we had the courage to work out our differences. And in so doing, you know, gain respect for, for each other. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I try to make it a point not to dislike my opponent because I'm trying very hard to understand them. Because once I understand where they're coming from, then I have a better sense of understanding how to, uh, how to deal with them and how to get them to see our, our point of view and, and how that point of view is their point of view. Uh, they feel the same way about their grandparents as, as we all do. Everybody does. So we shouldn't be uh, stealing each other's grandparents. And, and where that's happened in the past, then we should all be committed to, to undoing it and, and, and making things right so that we can get on with the real work of restoring you know, our Hawaiian kingdom and, and uh, returning our people to the land. Um, that's what I would prefer to work on in my life. But you know what? I'm I'm happy and I'm proud that I got to work on this uh, this this responsibility of restoring the ancestral foundation. Thank you so much, Aloha. Uh, it was incredible to listen to you and learn from you. And uh, I think I I speak for many when I say that we we have you in uh, in our thoughts and prayers as well so thanks again and thank you to Mahalo. thank you to uh, our dear uh, Idema Long who facilitated facilitated this uh, this dialogue yes. thank you Mahalo Nui. this podcast is produced by the Phenomenalist. you can listen to dozens of other episodes on your favorite podcast platforms and on our website at thephenomenalist.net